You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome to The Fabulous Invalid, Broadway's podcast where we present essential conversations with a curated roster of the best, most important, and innovative theater makers working today, from actors to writers, directors, designers, and everyone in between. We took our name from the title of a 1938 play by Kaufman and Hart that has since become a loving nickname for Broadway itself, always deemed on the verge of decline, yet always bouncing back, the fabulous invalid. I'm theater savant Jamie Dumont. I'm Rob Russo, writer and theater critic with Stage Left.NYC and Stage Left, the podcast. And I'm Jennifer Samard, currently starring in my pajamas on Instagram from my apartment. (laughs) I think we're all in our pajamas or some version of that. And that's because this is our first recording. We we are sort of living in a new world, right? Mm. We are all home. We are all self-quarantined. And um, times times are different. Times have changed. Times have changed. The times are a changing. That's a Broadway show title, I think. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it is. Anyway, I digress. Well, we might sound a little different because we are not recording on our... No, we're not together. We're not on our normal platform. We're recording on this terrific web-based thing that the Broadway Podcast Network has supplied us with, um, which is fantastic. It enables us to keep going. But um, you're going to notice, dear listener, over the course of however long we're doing this for until we can be together, you're going to notice some not perfect sound quality. You're going to hear some background noises you probably don't normally hear, and you'll hear some variances just in terms of everyone's individual mics because people will be calling in and and everybody's got different equipment or no equipment at all. So, um, but the show must go on, you know. The show, well, and this is what the fabulous invalid is, right? I mean, this is our the you know we've gotten some criticism over our show title from people in the past, which I understand, but really what. What it means and what I think we all love about the title of our show is that it literally refers to Broadway always bouncing back and always on the ready to thrive. And I think that couldn't be more apparent than it is right now. Here, here. Here, here. <laughs> well, all right. Before we get to our guest today, we're very excited to have Rachel Chavkin, the Tony Award-winning director of Hades Town. We are thrilled to have her with us. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm such an admirer of her work. And she's Woo. she's not only a great director, I mean, she's a real activist, right? She's she someone is. who is so engaged in in our society and 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 being a force for good and making change. And you know, it, it's it's no surprise to me that she was someone who I, I don't know if we reached out to her or if she reached out to us, but that we found each other in this moment to have a conversation about responding to this pandemic because, you know, she really is a leading voice in the community. She is. And that is what we're going to talk to her about, right? Like, so I, yeah. I don't want to mislead anybody. We we will have her back again to talk <laughs> more in depth about all of the wonderful projects that she has worked on and will be working on. But today, I think we want to focus on the world events and what's happening and what you can do. And I think in time, we'll get back to 
to the regular format of our show. We have some interviews in the can, which we'll release. Uh, God, that sounds terrible, in the can. Um, but we do. We have them, and we will... That's a we saying, will, in the can. I don't think it's I know. Uh, I don't know why. I'm, I guess I'm sensitive today. But <laughs> we, have, we have recorded interviews that we will release over the next few weeks, and we will continue to record, and everything will get back to normal. It, things may be slightly different, but... That's, a that's new what normal. we're looking a at. New normal. It's a new normal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Jen, I think you wanted to ask us something, right? Well, yeah. I, I know that um, we've been talking about what we've been asking our guests, what piece of music, if any, or soundtrack or whatnot, has helped get them through this event. And I, we've been asking them, and I thought it would be fun to ask each other. Yeah, absolutely. So we have changed. We normally ask our final question is, what is that show or thing that made you want to work in the theater? And we've changed it. So yeah, we should, add, Rob, Rob, why don't, well, Jen, why don't you go first? What, what's on your heavy rotation right now? Well, my favorite instrument in the world is the cello. And I have been listening to Yo-Yo Ma and he's been doing frequent showings on Facebook and on Instagram of, of different songs that uh, he thought might soothe people during this time and sharing his gifts literally with the world. And I find it very comforting. And to, again, to me, it's the most beautiful sound in the world, the cello. So that's mm. been my number one go-to. I, yeah. I love classical music. I, yeah. I will say, I have a feeling, well, now that I've said this, Rob, Rob will pick something different. But right now, I'm obsessed with the um, losing my mind, the, uh, the, the new Sondheim. Yeah. I knew I was going to do that. The new Sondheim Disco Fever album or whatever. I don't know what. It's subtitled A Sondheim Disco Fever Dream. That's mm. it. See, Rob, you sh- I should have let you just take this one. I, d- <laughs> I didn't mean to like shit all over it. Um, but, but I will also say that a friend of mine in Australia sent me a album of Dorothy Loudon, who famously was Miss Hannigan on, uh, in Annie on Broadway. Um, but he sent me a, an album of Dorothy Loudon live at the Blue Angel, which was a nightclub in New York, uh, very famous. And it is fantastic. If you can, it's not, I couldn't get it on Spotify, which is why they sent me the album. It is on Spotify, but I'm a tech disaster, so I couldn't figure out how to make it work. And at any rate, it's fabulous. Dorothy Loudon, literally any of her albums, she cheers me up because she's so kind of wacky. <laughs> and I'll just say, um, in addition to Losing My Mind, which is both a great song, a great album, and a depiction of, I think, everyone's lives right now, I've also, you know, this past Sunday was Stephen Sondheim's 90th birthday. And so I've, I've been sort of doing my own little Sondheim tribute in my apartment I've been listening to all of his uh, original cast albums from all of his incredible musicals. But the two that the first one I actually listened to was Pacific Overtures. I don't know why, but it was the one that was speaking to me on Sunday. So uh, I'm putting in a word for Pacific Overtures. Great album. Great show. Oh, it's a great score. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we should uh, probably turn it over to the delightful Rachel Chavkin. Let's do it. Great. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. As we, sure. As we try to navigate through these difficult times, artists, as always, uh, have an important role to play in our society. What are some of the issues you're most concerned with about right now, and how do you see the theater community coming together to make a difference? I, I think first and foremost, the thing that I uh, find myself most worried about is um, the economy and how 
we are going to sort of um, recover. And I, I use economy very broadly in the sense of like the faith that there can be fellowship again <laughs> and we can live life mm. again, right? And thus buy things, right? You know, like it's all it's all holistic and sort of part and parcel. And I think that the theater community, um, you know, is, is amongst the best because the nature of our work requires live fellowship. Um, if only between you and one other performer, I'm thinking about like Christine Jones's theater for one. Um, but certainly most of the time we're doing this with, um, a number of performers and an even bigger number of audience. The idea that we can gather in space together and heal together, even if that's about, you know, very, uh, sort of silly or off topic things, I think is going to be a major, a major part of recovery. Uh, and it, and it may not be to where we have been before. You know, I think that to the second part of your question of like, what can theater be doing? I got a, a, a beautiful email from a, a dear colleague, actually Jim Nicola, who runs New York theater workshop and who is a sort of very deep thinker. And, um, he was engaging me and just thinking about like, what, what should we be doing? <laughs> like in a really <laughs> deep way as artists, like that was the presumption. It wasn't like, have you lost faith in art? Jim is, uh, will tell you the importance of someone telling a story to another person as the Titanic sinks. And actually to a certain extent at that point, what else is there other than telling a tale that brings you some degree of transcendence. Uh, um, and if we want to get like super macro to climate change, we can say that's, that's kind of where we, where we are right now. Um, which is not, you know, that sounds like I'm dismissing activists and the possibility of change. I'm not at all, but I do think that the value of a story is, is profoundly valuable. Um, and so I feel like I'm going to be looking to, just even my own theater to think about like, how do we create space for the idea of kind of radical transformation? Cause I do think that that is what is required in this moment and likely will be ongoing. Mm. Well, on Monday um, you joined with Taylor Mack to launch trickle up. Um, what can you tell us about this new project? Yeah, it's exquisite. I mean, and you know, I, I take, no credit for it because basically <laughs> T Taylor asked if I would do this and I will do anything that Taylor tells me to do. <laughs> um, so uh, Taylor is one of uh, a few artists and um, organizations that uh, have helped put this together. And um, uh, the idea I'm, I'm pulling up because I, I want to be yeah it's uh in the initial thing he wrote me it's here art center it's the flea it's new dramatists so mm. so those are also three organizations that i trust the hell out of yeah. <laughs> um and uh the idea was he went to people who um he presumed which uh, certainly in my case is right i i can't speak for the other artists but that we were probably okay financially based on the work that we're doing and where we are in our lives. Um, 
but that A, we might know someone who is not okay financially. And and I think he's, uh, uh, sorry, Judy specifically specified um, uh, someone who really needs help and particularly artists who are working um, near or below the poverty line. Mm. and who were deeply impacted by the loss of work. And there's been a lot of kind of giving trees and stuff, but what was marked to me about this and why I was so eager to get involved is the idea is actually to make grants of, uh, and the word that they're using is commissions of $10,000. And as someone who the first grant, excuse me, my company, the team ever got, uh, I believe was from the Greenwall Foundation for the amount of $10,000 uh, in 2006, I can tell you firsthand like how uh, profoundly um, altering that was for both me and our trajectory as an ensemble. Um, and I love the use of the word commissions because we're, you know, we're, that is how artists make uh, at the kind of most grassroots level is, um, if you can feed yourself, if you can clothe yourself, uh, that is what you, you are what is required to make the work. Um, and so by investing in the artists, we're investing in the, in the future of our field. Uh, and again, I think $10,000 is a, is a meaningful amount towards that. Um, uh, and so the idea is like this wonderful network of, mm-hmm. I was just on it. It's like Susan Laurie Parks is singing a song. Of course, she's a musician. And um, uh, there's playwrights doing poetry. And my friend Lear de Bessonet is reading um, about the Federal Theater Project, which is like so perfect for right now. Um, yeah. It's just, it's tremendous. And it's $10 a month and you get access to all of um, this wealth of artistry, um, again, at the kind of most DIY grassroots level with totally substantial ideas and, uh, 10 bucks a month, 10,000 subscribers that lets us give out a lot of cash. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Thank you so much. It's Jennifer Rachel. Hi. Um, hi, Jennifer. Art. Hi. Uh, I like what you just said, by the way. Like such a hierarchy of needs going on here, from feeding yourself to clothing yourself, all the way up to what you said about having something that brings you a degree of transcendence. Artists everywhere are suffering, not just actors like me. And there's been a lot of focus on the Broadway community. However, all mediums are impacted at all levels. What is something that our listeners can do right now to help? And if you had to pick a thing in addition to what you just said, is there anything you can think of? Oh, yeah. I've had a few people, and I always direct them to the Actors Fund, um, which, of course, serves um, uh, uh, all the disciplines in our field, not just um, uh, not just actors, despite its name. Um, uh, and I, it's just – it's the place with the biggest track record. You're not inventing a wheel – um, uh, and they're so profoundly engaged and tied to all of the different unions and so many different like outlets for providing 
support. So that's where I've been directing people. Um, and of course, the other thing, which I actually, I have a, um, a little baby. So I have been, uh, I have to say, fearful of how much outside volunteering to do because of exposure potentials. Um, but uh, but I, if I did not have a newborn in the household, um, or I should say upstairs, he's two flights up with his dad's, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I would be volunteering for the food bank uh, and handing out stuff, which does not help necessarily the theater community community specifically but of course um i think it's imperative that artists never think they are you know apart from the larger economy and and i sort of think about i think about an artist uh the way i think about a factory worker in reading or wherever um as someone who whatever that job is we're making culture widgets (laughs) um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, so anyway, the food bank is there for all, including actors, including designers. Um, and I would encourage volunteering there. Mm. Well, it's, it's so fun. amazing to me, um, uh, thinking about a point you made earlier, drawing the illusion to, to climate change and, you know, my, 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 my mind just suddenly thought of two very recent projects of yours, uh, Town and Continuity, um, both of which, you know, have a lot to say about, how um, you know private actions ripple out across communities, um, and how you know um, the environment uh, informs uh, our lives and and our choices and our futures. Yeah. Um, and and it's in this moment of pandemic. I mean, it, it really is laying bare a lot of the structural failures in our society um, that were all that were already there. Um, and and I, I'm wondering, you know. Um, how you see um, the art that you've created and the art that you will create um, as being sort of in conversation with, with this moment. Mm. I mean, I'm thinking mostly actually about a piece called reconstruction that my company, the team is making now. Mm. Um, That is um, uh, it's a massive company of artists, I think 24 or 25. um, And, uh, and it's a piece that is, uh, quite, uh, focused on race and interracial relationships as well Mm. as intra-racial. Um, and, uh, very specifically, I'm now, um, referencing Jillian Walker, who is one of our collaborators, performer, and writer in the piece. And um, this is based on something, a line of inquiry that Jillian brought into the room, but is the question of intimacy. And sort of all, there's a bunch of different storylines in the the show, but I would say all of them are focused around the question of how, how do we and can we achieve intimacy in an anti-Black America? Um, uh, and so it's, it's particularly concerned, I would say with, um, whether intimacy is possible and if so, what has to be achieved or done in order to do this between a white person and a black person in America. Um, uh, and one of the ways that we defined intimacy is do, do, do both parties understand the scope and depth of the exchange at hand? 
Um, so even if that exchange is like two people sitting across the table from each other talking about where they want to go shopping that day, like th- th- everything that is a part of that interaction, um, uh, can we approach like true depth of understanding, um, and thus be intimate with each other. So, so that's a piece like where our goal, the thing that we have said in the rehearsal room as artists is that we want this piece to be useful to Mm. audience members. Um, we want it to be useful to people white, black, certainly uh, uh, other people of color, though, again, this piece is pretty specifically focused on um, uh, those two sort of part um, members of our world um, uh, who want to try to reach <laughs> towards intimacy as a goal, um, uh, but are m- maybe just awakening or you're, maybe you're not awakened or maybe you're like deeply along the, the journey of thinking about this challenge and how do we move towards um, a, a genuinely um, equal society, which again, I think is, I think is very far <laughs> from where we live today. So, <laughs> yeah. so um, I, so I guess that to me is like emblematic of the work that I hope to be making in answer to your question is like work that is, that is useful. It's why I mm. love Hades Town so deeply is because, uh, you know, it helps us think about um, all of the, the, the depth of the, you know, global degradation of like mm. the physical world via industry and, and a scarcity mentality, which is where Hades operates from. But it also ends, even amidst the tragedy, with this incredible image of hope and the idea that like, that the, that the, um, that the hope is in the courage to tell the story again and to imagine it might turn out differently. Um, Amber Gray has talked about it because, uh, of course, Amber herself is, um, I think, um, a deep activist and, you know, spends a lot of time uh, via her work with Reverend Billy in particular and the Stop Shopping Gospel Choir. Um, and she talks about, she's like, the next Orpheus is going to make it. And we have to sing to that person. Um, so I, I feel that really deeply. Rachel, you're the artistic director of TEAM, a Brooklyn-based ensemble dedicated to creating new work about the experience of living in America. That experience (laughs) has certainly changed over the last week. What is TEAM currently working on in light of what's happening? 
Oh, well, I mean, I just talked about it. Reconstruction yeah. is the new team show. Um, right. And that's going to premiere, you know, <laughs> an old mm-hmm. friend once joked um, that uh, at one point our acronym, we had to become, I, I say this shamefully because we didn't want to, but our uh, an accountant when we were first like incorporating told us that we needed to become an acronym because we would never get a business license for the team. And so we like actually our first group <laughs> writing assignment was like, what can we stand for? And um, we ended up being a combination of a few different ideas. And this was only on our legal paperwork, but it was the theater of the emerging American moment, which... Mm. I am shamed about because it's too pretentious. Um, but a friend <laughs> further ribbed us at one point because it takes us a really long time to make a <laughs> to make a play because, like, most importantly, and this is not a part of the mission statement that you read, but the team writes all of our work collaboratively through what we call a horizontal writing process. And we edit it through consensus. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy process that I have <laughs> quite proudly described as aggressively inefficient. Um, <laughs> and, uh, there are lots of fight. Is there fighting? Tell me about the fight. Um, there's actually like, I would say we have survived as long as we have because we're all very good at passive aggression. So like, <laughs> right. So like we're, a- <laughs> we're able to sort of still be polite mm-hmm. even when we're raging at each other for the mm-hmm. most part. Um, and right. so often of- the way of, oh, what were you going to say, Jennifer? No, I was just saying, just saying my favorite joke is that, all right, whatever fucked up way you want to do it, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of, that's kind of how we function until like you get to the next day and you're over it. And if you're not over it the next day, then someone totally does bring it up again. Um, but uh, anyway, I was just going to say a friend joked that we should actually call ourselves um, Tram, the theater of the recent American moment, because it takes <laughs> so long to make a show. Right. So maybe in like 10 years, we'll make a COVID piece. I just don't know. <laughs> Amazing. Well, as Stephen Sondheim wrote very, very keenly, art isn't easy, you know? That's true. Um, uh, well, you've been very outspoken, um, most famously in your Tony Award speech last year, um, about creating space and opportunities for women and people of color within the theater industry. Um, do you worry that this pandemic, and uh, with everything sort of being put on hold and everyone kind of scattered, has the potential to put that vital work on hold? Well, I mean, to a certain extent, like everything's on hold, right? True. So yeah. I guess I should say what concerns me most are the artists and particularly, obviously, to the question, the women and artists of color who maybe were making a premiere mm. um, that got sidelined or shafted. And I, I think it's imperative that we not forget. Um, so I'm thinking about Celine Song's beautiful show, Endlings. I'm thinking Mm. about Martina Mayork's Sanctuary City, which, uh, you know, I hope will resurge. I'm thinking about all the Natalie Portman, C.A. Johnson's, um, uh, show that was at MCC. Um, and I, you know, I, I, the, uh, I think probably the numbers are, are countless and, and because our, our field so, uh, profoundly kind of, um, uh, prioritizes experience and depth of impact, 
Uh, and we tend to measure impact in very sadly narrow ways of like the number of people who saw it and was one of those people, uh, one of the two, you know, white men who reviewed for the New York Times and did they like it? Like that, that's obviously a really narrow critique, but, but a criteria, but that criteria does have a, a, a like technically measurable impact on someone's earning power and, and the, and the opportunities that they're going to get flowing out of the previous opportunity. So, um, so I just worry about all the shows that died and cannot be lost. So I hope we do think about that. And then, I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, I think it really remains to be seen as to whether people are going to come out of this and be really scared or people are going to come out of this and be really brave. And of course, those two things are sisters to each other. Like, I don't think there's actually any bravery without fear. Um, so, uh, so I don't know. I'm attached to yeah. a show, Lempika, that is written by a woman, Carson Kreitzer, who did the book and lyrics. And then Matt Gould did the music. And um, Carson has been has spent her entire career working sort of as far away from Broadway as you can get. And this show is now mm-hmm. on like a, an, a, an intensely um, exciting Broadway-bound trajectory. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so... Hopefully we'll be adding her voice. And um, I know a lot of works in development that I think are going to come crashing into, you know, the, the sunrise uh, as we move <laughs> out of this. Um, so that's thrilling. Yeah, Rachel, it's Jamie here. I, I just have to say... Um, I saw Limpica twice at Williamstown. It's, <gasps> you um, did? I did. I saw it back to back, which is rare. I can count on one hand the shows that I've seen in the afternoon and then gone back to the evening or gone back the next day. Um, and Limpica to this day, and this that was what, a summer ago? Um, uh, 2018, two, yeah. Yeah, so two, two years ago, and that show still haunts me. I cannot wait. In oh, fact, yay. Jamie, Rob, that makes me thrilled. Uh-huh. Rob and I have time in our calendar marked out to go to La Jolla. Hopefully, who knows if, who knows if we'll be able to do that or not, but um, we're very excited. It's such a beautiful, important piece of theater. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I feel obviously the same. And like, it's gotten so much better since we <laughs> I'm really excited to say also. Funny how shows so. can do that when you keep working on I know, them right? And, and loving yeah. them. Um, I also have to say, I have to say that I love the notion of the next Orpheus is going to make it. I feel like that's an anthem for our time right now. It's it's really beautiful. Um, and speaking of anthems, um, I think in, in these troubled times, before we let you go, um, we're all sort of leaning on music. And uh, for me, it's show tunes. Um, is there a particular song or something in your playlist that's helping you get through these troubled times? Well, actually, I feel like this is cheating, but I have all these new demos from Lempika. And so, um, and I'm a runner, uh, and very often I don't have time to run. And I should be clear, I'm an extremely slow runner. Um, uh, My body is achy. but, uh, But I have been running around the park every day and listening to these new demos and staging in my brain. And that, like, really really makes the time go by. Oh, I bet it cool. also ha- it, it it must also just help you keep focused on the show and moving forward with it. 
Yeah, oh God, totally. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and ha- I'm very happy to say I think we um, do have, you know, a path ahead of us because the show is so damn good. And mm-hmm. we've been very blessed with uh, people who, who believe in it. Well, I'm not saying this because we have you trapped on our show for, for a few minutes, but Hadestown is definitely the, the score that's getting me through these times right now. Oh, I'm delighted <laughs> about that. Nice. Well, we're, thank you so much for your time. We're going we're gonna to let you go. Um, Great. Rachel, again, thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. Such a pleasure, truly. We raise our cups and drink them up. We raise them high and drink them dry to obvious and all of us. Good night, brothers. Good night. Rob here with You May Be Wondering. As we talked about with Rachel, everyone has a role to play in this time of pandemic from helping your elderly or infirm neighbors to get groceries, to rallying your local community to support small businesses, or donating money or medical supplies to those in need. The list goes on. If you're a fan of live performance, and the theater in particular, which, let's face it, if you're listening to this podcast, chances are that you are, you may be wondering what you can do to help the theater community. Well, as Rachel suggested, the number one thing is to go online to actorsfund.org and make a donation in any amount to the Actors Fund which, despite its name, serves all professionals, not just actors, in the film, theater, television, music, opera, radio, and dance world through direct support programs that address their health and welfare in times of crisis and need. When your job is live performance, you can't work from home. So everyone from performers to backstage staff, ushers, and beyond are feeling the economic impact of this pandemic right now. Something else Rachel alluded to is supporting the constellation of smaller nonprofit companies and artists across the landscape of New York theater and theater nationwide. Chances are, wherever you are, you're not far from a nonprofit arts organization that serves your community and relies on ticket sales and donations to make ends meet. Without performances, budgets are going to get tight, and some companies might be forced to shutter. If you add upcoming tickets to a show at BAM or City Center, St. Anne's or the Park Avenue Armory that won't be happening due to the shutdown, what critic Helen Shaw calls a phantom ticket, consider donating the value of that ticket back to the organization in lieu of taking a refund. Companies like Roundabout, Manhattan Theater Club, and Second Stage that also have Broadway houses are feeling the crunch, but so too are off-Broadway nonprofits like New York Theater Workshop, Ars Nova, The Transport Group, The Vineyard Theater, Clubbed Thumb, La Mama, and The Public Theater, just to name a few. Indeed, the list goes on. Getting through all this will require people coming together to support each other, but we also need government action and other institutions chipping in. To that end, the New York Community Trust has announced that it is administering the NYC COVID-19 Response and Impact Fund, a massive system of grants and interest-free loans funded by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation, Bloomberg Philanthropies, the Doris Duke Charitable Foundation, the Ford Foundation, and the Rockefeller Brothers Fund to the tune of some $75 million, all earmarked for social services, arts, and cultural institutions. That might sound like a lot of money, and let's face it, it is. But given the breadth of organizations out there, just the sheer number, it won't be enough to solve for every loss being sustained right now and in the weeks and months to come. And so while I know that everyone is feeling some degree of economic anxiety right now, if you do have the means, think about what artists and companies you love and would hate to see disappear from the cultural landscape and consider making a donation of any amount. We'll all get through this by being there for each other. 
Hi, it's Jamie. That's our show. Thanks for listening. And as always, you can hear us anytime on iTunes. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc. and The Fabulous Invalid LLC and a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Aaron Kaufman. You can find us online at fabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid and on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you find podcasts. Be sure to tune in Wednesday and stay safe and be well.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. 